Hey you guys, I am Cynthia Beaudry and this is the Peace of My Mind podcast, P-E-A-C-E. I am so fired up today with God's goodness, it's spilling out, you have no idea. Um, And so I just wanted to come on here and just share with you what God has impressed upon my heart. There's a scripture, Jesus says, all you who are thirsty, come to me, come to me and drink. Believe in me so that rivers of living water will burst from you flowing from your innermost being and i'm so thirsty today and i I hope you are too i want to um right now you and i just enter into his presence i want to just show up and just let him love on us um i hope this episode he can just um just pour out in us more um of his goodness I want rivers of living water to manifest in you and I to overflowing. And I love that verse because, you know, it doesn't say trickle. It doesn't say a drop. It doesn't say a pond. It doesn't say a swamp. It says a river. And in my mind, a river is raging. It's alive. It's active. It's in motion. It's sweeping. It's bursting forward. It's refreshing. And Jesus says we can live from that place and uh, we can overflow from that place. And I want to do that with you today. A common theme for me in my walk with the Lord has been suffering, but suffering with purpose. You know, um, a lot of my life um, has been trauma and drama. I've had a lot of loss um, from my dad being murdered when I was like about five years old um, to being diagnosed with uh, an autoimmune disease in 2010. Um, You know, being abused, being abandoned. Um, There's just I've suffered a lot of loss and pain. And, I went, and before I was a Christian, I used to suffer and, and just allow the suffering to dictate my contentment, to dictate my, my perspective on life. And I just allowed it to just rob me, shut me down, disable me of hope. And when I became a Christian, God began to show me how to grieve productively and how I could sit in suffering with supernatural poise It's been a beautiful process. It's been a hard process, um, but I'm so grateful that um, he's walking me through that. When I was a baby Christian, I signed up for these daily promises of God's words email. I don't know if I told you the story already, but um, if not, if I did, it's still worth repeating. But um, I was excited because every morning you would get this email and it would say, you know, daily promises of God's word, of God's word. And I just was so ready. I was like, give me some feel-good verses. Um, I want to start my day on a positive note. I just want to be empowered and just go forth. You know, so I kind of expected the verses, the promises that they would email me to be like, you know, you can do all things in Christ or um, you are more than a conqueror (laughs) or you are the head and not the tail. You know, those kinds of verses. But instead... The emails that I got were not what I expected. So the first day I got, um, I wake up, I'm excited, open up my email, and it says, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And I was like, okay. (laughs) All right. Daily promise. (laughs) Go about my day, right? I was like, maybe tomorrow, maybe the next day, I'll, you know, they'll email me, they'll, sh- they'll shoot out a, a, another verse that maybe f- might make me feel better. <laughs> and the next day I open up the email and it says, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> all right, well, maybe tomorrow, maybe the next day, right? And then the next day, you know what I got? 
For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. (laughs) I was like, unsubscribe, hit the button, delete, bye. (laughs) God has a sense of humor, right? These were not the promises that I was looking for (laughs) at all. Um, But I think God knew I needed to hear them. No one is immune to suffering. No one is immune to trials and tribulations. But you know what he says? He says, John 16, 33, he says, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. You know, and I like the King James Version um, of that verse because it says, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And the Passion Translation says, but you must be courageous for I have conquered the world. And my process with the Lord in this theme is that he's just been growing me on how I can take courage in tribulation, how I could be of good cheer when all hell's breaking loose, and how I could have my eyes open to see the manifestation of how he's working all things together for our good. Romans 8.28 is one of my favorite verses. It says, For we are convinced that every detail of our lives is continually woven together to fit into God's perfect plan of bringing good into our lives. For we are his lovers who have been called to fulfill his designed purpose. Family, you and I, when we suffer, we can find purpose in it. And while we wait, we can rest knowing that he is working. We can find purpose in our pain. Our tests can turn into testimonies. Um, So I want to talk about that today with you. You know, I'm not saying I've arrived and that with each trial that comes my way that I'm perfectly poised in grace. No, I don't want you to get the idea that I have perfected this and that I do suffering well. No, I I don't do suffering well. Um, But I will say that he has taught me things about his character and his intentions for us through grief and pain. And I just want to share um, some of that encouragement to you so that you can know that you're not alone and you can be reminded and be refreshed in the truth of his goodness for you. Don't ever let the devil accuse God um, to you in suffering and pain. Don't let that ever take root into your heart. In your pain, you're not abandoned. In your pain, you're not forgotten. You know, I see you. God sees you. And together, you and I, we can carry one another's burdens um, as to so fulfill the law of God. And in that verse, the law of God just means his assignment for us. His assignment for us. He is assigned that you and I get to carry each other's burdens. You and I are assigned to uh, to support each other in suffering. So today, wherever you are, whatever you're doing and whatever you're suffering, whatever burden you're carrying, I pray that you feel supported. I pray that you feel surrounded in this specific area of your life, um, surrounded and supported in your suffering. That's what I'm praying for you. And one of the ways we can surround and support each other is through empathy. When I first started learning about empathy, I kind of bucked at the concept. The word empathy is not found in the Bible that I'm aware of. And for me personally, I'm really extreme. I need scripture to back things up. You know, I, if God didn't say it, then I'm not going to trust it. <laughs> um, so I, I mean, I, that's, that's how I am. And that's my, my conviction. I also believe that, um, not everything is in the Bible. For instance, like the Bible doesn't mention gravity, but it still exists. So what happens is, is when I come across something that doesn't have a direct verse to support it, 
what I begin to do is find the concept of what I'm being taught to see if that concept is in the Bible. And in the instance of empathy, there may not be a direct scripture saying be empathetic, but we can find a ton of verses supporting the concept of compassion. And one of my favorites is found in Romans 12, 15. It says weep with those who weep. It's just a simple, simple um, exhortation. Um, and I, I love it because it doesn't say preach to those who weep. It doesn't say like slap a, a Christian cliche term to those who weep. You know, like God doesn't give you more than you can handle. He'll make a way. It doesn't say that. It says weep with those who weep. That's empathy, right? It also doesn't say avoid those who weep. Give them space. Don't talk to them. You know, if your suffering makes me uncomfortable, I'm sorry, but I'm not called to avoid you in your pain. I'm called to enter in and support you in it. It says weep with those who weep. This is empathy, and this is carrying one another's burdens. Weep with those who weep is our assignment towards living in compassion with each other here on earth. One of my most powerful moments of healing was when I told my now husband, Brian, about my sexual abuse. We were sitting in his car. We were just dating at the time, just starting out. And I told him that I had been sexually abused. And you know what he did? He began to cry. And I sat there in the silent tension of like his tears. And the Holy Spirit said this to me. And um, I just, I'll never forget it. The Holy Spirit said, this response is my response too for what happened to you. And I, I just felt like in that moment that through Brian, God was showing me empathy. And um, I also knew in that moment that Brian was my husband. <laughs> he was carrying some of the burden of my abuse and he was weeping with me. And I was changed by that. You know, it was a powerful moment. I told him about my pain and he didn't try to fix it. He didn't try to throw scriptures at it um he wept with me and um and that empathetic moment was a catalyst towards deep healing in my life i was talking to a beautiful sister yesterday um beautiful sister in the lord uh, we had coffee at posey's bakery in um, northeast portland and uh, it was a sweet time that i was able to spend with her she's beautiful inside and out and we were talking about grief and we were talking about pain. She's one of those people that you can actually go deep with when you need to go deep with, but, you know, go light with when you need to go light with. So she's so versatile in, in how she can uh, engage you. And um, I really appreciate that about her. But we were talking about grief and she says, I feel like grief um, will come to me eventually. You know, I hadn't had anyone close to me die yet, uh, but I know it's going to happen. And so I'm, I'm trying to, you know, prepare for that. And what I told her when she said that was that the death of a loved one isn't the only instance in which we can experience grief. You know, I, I told her, I said, you know, what about a death of a dream? What about a death of a relationship that once was a divorce? What about a death of a career or position? You know, psychology even says that moving homes can even cause trauma. You know, these things are a big deal and they can lead us into dark places of pain and sorrow. Some of you have been given a diagnosis that has rocked your world. Some of you are infertile and the hope of having children has been robbed from you. 
Some of you are aching to find your forever person and to be married. And in this waiting, you feel abandoned. You feel forgotten, unloved, ugly. Some of you have just lost a job. And some of you have to watch a family member waste away in destructive choices and it breaks your heart. Some of you are lonely and you just can't seem to plug into a thriving community. These sufferings are a big deal. And so I say to you right now, in whatever pain your heart is in, I see you and Jesus sees you. Do you remember Hagar in the Bible? We find most of the information about Hagar in Genesis chapter 16. She was the Egyptian girl who was a slave to Abram's wife, Sarah. It says, now Abram's wife had not been able to bear children for him, but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, the Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abram agreed with her proposal. So she took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, and gave her to Abram as a wife. And this happened 10 years after they had settled in the land of Canaan. Abram then had sexual relations with Hagar, and she became pregnant. But when she discovered that she was pregnant, she began to treat Sarai with contempt. Then Sarai said to her husband, this is all your fault. I put my servant into your arms, and now that she's pregnant, she's treating me with contempt. The Lord will show who's wrong, you or me. Abram replied, look, she's your servant. Deal with her as you see fit. So Sarai treated Hagar so harshly that Hagar ran away. The angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a spring of water in the wilderness along the road to Shur. The angel said to her, Hagar, Sarah's servant, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarah, she replied. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her authority. And then he added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. And the angel also said, you are now pregnant and will give birth to a son. You are to name him Ishmael, which means God hears. For the Lord has heard your cry of distress. And then it goes on to say that Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord, the Lord who had spoken to her. And she says, you are the God who sees me. And then she also says, have I truly seen the one who sees me? It says Hagar was treated harshly on top of being sexually used. She was abused. She was mistreated. And I imagine that her heart was hurting so badly. I mean, it had to have been for her to run away to find relief, you know? The verse literally says she was in distress. And God's response to her, what does he say? He says, I hear you. I see you. And he says that to us in our suffering and in our pain. He sees you in your crushed dreams, in your expectations that haven't been met, in your waiting, in your moving, in your transition, in your relationships, in your infertility, in your mental illness, in your disease, and in your trauma. He sees you. And what was her response? Have I seen the one who sees me? Do you see him? Sometimes when trials and tribulations come, our first question is, why me? What have I done? Why, God? Why? And I, and I think all of us as humans, we just have a desire to just make sense of things. 
to find purpose in our experiences. We want answers. We don't want to come up empty in our pain. But one of the things that has helped me has not been asking why God, why, but to shift and to ask, where are you in this? What are you doing? How are you working this out for my good and for your glory? And when you begin to ask these questions instead, it positions your heart to be actively searching for hope in the midst of the trials. And hope does not disappoint. The anniversary of September 11 tragedy was just a few weeks ago. And um, every year that the anniversary comes, we're just reminded of the trauma that we all faced as a nation. So many lives were lost. And I was talking to my uncle the other day, and he's in New York City. And to this day, he still has PTSD from seeing people jump to their deaths. He saw it in, in real time. Um, his heart is forever impacted by what happened in New York City on that day. I actually had gotten saved right, right before it happened. God transplanted me out of New York. And um, I actually had a job in the financial district before, before I left New York. And that's where I would take lunch. I would take lunch in the World Trade Towers. Can you, can you imagine? And then I got saved and I moved away. And then that tragedy happened. I'm just in awe of God. After the tragedy happened, I went back to New York. I wanted to check on my family and also wanted to see how we could support um, the people in my former church, Times Square Church. After one of the services, we had a prayer meeting and a, a, a group of us from Times Square Church, we just packed into this like tiny railroad apartment. We just wanted to just pray. We were all griefing. We were all in pain. And I, re- I remember that prayer meeting. I just remember so many voices crying out to God and so many testimonies. Um, someone said, uh, my alarm clock didn't go off or else I would have been in that building. Someone else said, I stopped to get coffee and a donut. I took a detour that day. I never take detours. But God directed me away from the crash. Someone else cried out, I was sick. I called out of work. And it was just testimony after testimony and person after person just crying out at how, how merciful and sovereign God had been, even in the midst of this absolutely devastating trauma. There wasn't any like, why God, why? But it was, it was a sense of like, wow, God, wow. Wow, you've moved. You've protected me. You were working good even through this. Even through this. 1 Thessalonians says, we grieve, yet we grieve with hope. You see, in the midst of our pain, there's this tension that we can exist in where we're enduring the pain, and yet we're completely expectant with hope in him. And this is beautiful. This is powerful. We grieve with hope. And the Bible also says, Philippians 3.10, I want to know Christ. Yes, I want to know him in the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. We fellowship with him in suffering. There's a sharing, a partnership that we can enter into when we suffer. I don't know if you ever heard of Corey Ten Boom, but she's written a book called The Hiding Place. And in that book, she recounts her time with her and her sister at a concentration camp. 
Um, they were sent there as punishment for hiding Jews and protecting them again from the Nazis. Um, Barracks 28, that was actually the compound in which her and her sister stayed in. Um, and it was designed to house 400 women, but there was actually about 1,400 women um, in that barracks with her and her sister. And supernaturally, they managed to smuggle in a Bible. Um, but you can imagine um, just the unbearable and atrocious living conditions that they were in. This was a concentration camp. But I want to read to you a portion of, um, of her story in that book. It says, We lay back, struggling against the nausea that swept over us from the reeking straw. Suddenly I sat up, striking my head on the cross slats above. Something had pinched my leg. Fleas, I cried. Fleas. Betsy, this place is swarming with them. Here and here and here, another one. Betsy, how can we live in such a place? Show us, show us. It was said so matter-of-factly, it took me a second to realize that she was praying. More and more, the distinction between prayer and the rest of life seemed to be vanishing for Betsy. Corey, she said excitedly, he's given us the answer. You know, he always does. In the Bible this morning, where was it? Read that part again. I glanced down the long, dim aisle to make sure that no guard was in sight, and I drew the Bible from its pouch. It was First Thessalonians, I said. We were on our third complete reading of the New Testament since leaving home. In the feeble light, I turned the pages. Here it is. It says, comfort the frightened, help the weak, be patient with everyone, see that none of you repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to all. It seemed to be written expressly for them at the concentration camp. Go on, said Betsy. That wasn't all. Oh, yes. It also says, rejoice always, pray constantly. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. That's it, Corey. That's the answer. Give thanks in all circumstances. That's what we're going to do. We can start right now by giving thanks for every single thing about this new barracks. I stared at her, and then I looked around me at the dark, foul air room. Um, give thanks for things such as? Such as being assigned here together. I bit my lip. Oh, yes, Lord. Yes. Such as what you're holding in your hands. I looked down at the Bible. Yes. Thank you, dear Lord. There was no inspection when we entered here. And thank you for all these women here in this room who will meet you in these pages. Yes. And thank you for the very crowding here. Since we're packed so close, many more will hear. She looked at me expectantly. Corey, she prodded. All right. Thank you, Lord, for the jammed, crammed, stuffed, suffocating crowds. Thank you, Betsy went on serenely. Thank you for the fleas. The fleas. <laughs> this is too much. No, no, no. Betsy, there's no way. No way even God could make me grateful for a flea. Give thanks in all circumstances, she quoted. It doesn't say in pleasant circumstances. Fleas are a part of this place where God has put us. And so we stood there between tiers of bunks and we gave thanks for fleas. But I was sure that this time Betsy was wrong. Back at the barracks, we formed yet another line to receive our ladle of turnip soup in the center room. 
and then as quickly as we could for the press of people, Betsy and I made our way to the rear of the dormitory where we held our worship services. Around our own platform area, there wasn't enough light to read the Bible, but back here, there was a small light bulb that cast a yellow circle on the wall, and here, an even larger group of women would be able to gather. These were services like no others, these times in Barracks 28. At first, Betsy and I called these meetings with great timidity, but as night after night passed and no guard ever came near us, we grew bolder. Now, many more wanted to join us, and so we held a second service after the evening roll call. There, under rigid surveillance, guards in their warm, cool capes marched constantly up and down. In the center of the room of the barracks, half a dozen guards or camp were always present. Yet, in the large dormitory room, there was no supervision at all, and we didn't understand it. One evening, I got back to the barracks late from wood gathering, and Betsy was waiting for me, as always, so that we could wait through the food line together, and her eyes were twinkling. You look extraordinarily pleased with yourself, I told her. You know, we never understood why we had so much freedom in the big room, she said. Well, I found out. That afternoon, she said, there'd been confusion in her knitting group about sock sizes, and they asked the supervisor to come and settle it but she wouldn't. She wouldn't step through the door, and neither would the guards. And you know why? Betsy could not keep the triumph from her voice. Because of the fleas. That's what she said. The place is crawling with fleas. My mind rushed back to our first hour in this place, and I remembered Betsy's bowed head, and I remember her giving thanks to God for the creatures I could see no use for. Right now, in the midst of your own fleas, have you truly seen the one who sees you? Look for him in this. Participate with him in this. I'm praying for you. I'm excited for the ways that you will partner with him in your pain. And I'm excited for the way he's going to demonstrate his goodness towards you. I love you and I bless you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for letting me share a piece of my mind, P-E-A-C-E, on this topic of suffering. Until next time, I'll talk to you soon.